ever wonder about questions that don't seem to have solid answers? Like if God is so good, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Or why should we trust the Bible and who wrote it anyway? Maybe you found the answers, but they didn't fully satisfy you. Well, welcome to Straight from the Bible, where you can find real answers from God's Word. Give us a call if something's on your heart. You can call us right now at 472-1111 or in the CNMI at 323-1113. You can also text or WhatsApp your questions to 671-686-9999. And now, straight from the Bible with Pastor Masih Ideong. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Straight from the Bible. Uh, this is Pastor Masik, and I'm here with my co-host today, Scotty. Hey, Scotty. Hey, Hafadeh. Hafadeh, everybody. And so we'd like to begin our study uh, this evening. Uh, we have many questions that have come in. We're going to read them through, but we'd also really like to hear from you uh, via call or via text. You can go ahead and uh, give us a call once again at 671-472-1111. That's 671-472-1111. And if you are in the beautiful CNMI, give us a call at 670-323-1113. That's 670-323-1113. Or text us or send us a message at 671-686-9999. Once again, that's 671-686-9999. But before we do that, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer as we ask God's special blessing and guidance. Let's pray together. Oh, dear loving Heavenly Father. Thank you so much that we can be here to study your word. And Father, with the many questions that come in and that have come in, we pray, Father, for your wisdom and that you be our teacher. Please make the word clear to us that we may not only understand it, but rejoice in it and apply it to our lives. We thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good evening, everybody, once again. And Scotty, I know we had some more questions that we didn't finish off last time and some more that have come in. Uh, let's go right ahead and begin. And of course, please feel free to call us or, or send your question in the comments section on our Facebook page. And we would love to hear from you. Okay. A question just came in from our email and, it's, and it reads, was earth the first thing God created? Was earth the first thing that God created? Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 1. That's a great question. Was earth the first thing that God created? As we read in the scriptures, we know that it it really isn't. Uh, there really is nothing to show that uh, in the scriptures that earth was the first uh, thing ever created. Rather, we actually have uh, other places that show that uh, it, it wasn't. There was actually others created way before us. And so as we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it, it says this, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, when, we, when that expression, in the beginning, you know, that really is simply in the beginning of our time, of our world, of our planet. Because as you read on through the account in Genesis 1 and 2, it is the creation of earth and the creation of man. And so, you know, for example, Scotty, uh, you and I were probably born in different years. Mm -hmm. And so you began at a different year and I began at a different year. Yes. But we both did begin yes. at some point in time. Now, let's go to the book of Job then. Job uh, chapter one. Uh, Job is uh, recorded by Bible scholars to be the oldest book uh, in the scriptures in Job chapter one. 
Now, we go to the book of Job, chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 6, and it says this, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou, or where did you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Now, these few verses in Job 6, Job chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8, we see that there is some kind of a heavenly council. And this heavenly council, those who have arrived at the heavenly council, are people called the sons of God. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. So, first of all, they came to present themselves before the Lord. And while they were presenting themselves in, some, in this council, Satan then came among them. And God asked, where did you come from? Meaning, where did you come from and, and why are you here? Because you shouldn't be here. And then Satan gives the answer. Well, I've come from going to and fro around the earth. Meaning, I have come to this council to represent the earth. And so that expression, sons of God, appears in different places in the Bible. And it, it, can, refer to, um, it can refer to us. It refers also, I believe, to angels. But here in this particular text, it refers to the, the, the other worlds, rather, that these people come representing. And so this is how we know that uh, we are not necessarily the first, because they came and Satan came, and when he was already there representing earth, uh, this has this is already after Adam and Eve had fallen. Mm -hmm. And so he is showing himself, uh, claiming to be the rightful owner and ruler and representative of earth. Now, here's the question. Who was the, the first representative of earth and really the one that God said that they will have dominion on the earth? Well, that was Adam. But what happened? Adam and Eve fell into sin, and the dominion then fell to the enemy. And so this is why Satan comes saying, well, I represent the earth, because uh, I am, I am, I'm a representative of it, because it's rightfully mine. And so we see that expression that we see in this council, that there are, are, are other people or other beings uh, from other places, uh, that, from other worlds, of course, uh, that God himself had created. Uh, so, no, we are not the first planet or people uh, that God had created. There, there may have been many, many more. Uh, we, the Bible doesn't say how many, uh, but it, it does say that we were the only ones that were lost, that fell into sin. In fact, Jesus says, using that beautiful parable, that what man of you having not having a hundred sheep, if he loses one, he leaveth the ninety and nine, and he goes looking for that one lost sheep. Well, planet Earth is that one lost sheep. Yes, we are. And there are many other um, worlds that God has created. So thank you so much for your question. Yes. Our next question is, what does the Bible say about divorce? What about heavenly marriages? What does the Bible say about divorce? Well, divorce, well, first of all, is, is something that was never intended. In fact, uh, when God made marriage, uh, he made it, um, you know, God himself created the institution of marriage. And when man fell into sin, there were only two things that man was allowed to bring out of Eden uh, once they fell into sin. 
The first, of course, was the keeping of the Seventh-day Bible Sabbath. And the second one was the privilege of, of being able to continue on uh, in marriage. And so what does the Bible say about uh, divorce and uh, divorce? Let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 31, I believe. Matthew, chapter 5, verse 31. Well, actually, we'll read 31 and 32. Scotty, could you read that for us, please? Matthew, chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. Okay. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now in verse 32, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There. Well, Jesus says really the only grounds for biblical Mm -hmm. divorce is, of course, um, fornication or adultery. When maybe a partner becomes unfaithful uh, um, and that unfaithfulness, uh, that adultery, that fornication, then is the um, it can be the basis for them to separate and to separate, of course, and uh, move on and separate. And then, of course, the innocent party, uh, they are, of course, free to marry and um, uh, not, not, not the guilty one, rather. So really the only grounds for divorce uh, that Jesus gives us is really fornication or adultery. Uh, let's go to the book of Matthew once again, 19, verse 8. And um, let's look at, uh, let's see, Matthew chapter 19. Begin, we'll look at 19, verse 4, rather. 19, verse 4. Yes, and it reads like this. And he answered and said unto them, have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Jesus going back to the Genesis account. And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall and they twain shall be one flesh, and the two shall be one. Wherefore they are no more two, but one flesh. Where, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And then they ask him the same question. They said unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Why did Moses allow divorce? Why did he tell us to allow it? And then Jesus gives the answer. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. And Jesus says the only reason why God uh, allowed Moses to, to oh, God told Moses to tell the people to allow a, a bill of divorce or to be divorced was because of the hardness of their hearts. And so there were some things that God had to allow because of the stony hearts of these people. And here's the incredible thing about that text, Scotty. God meets us right where we are. And God has to then meet us when we are and then slowly lift us up from where we are. And God is so merciful and so patient that uh, he did that for them, for the Israelites. And you know, Scotty, when you think Mm -hmm. of some of the horrific things 
that happen to wives in other parts of the world who either disobey their husbands or who either um, may say or do something that the husband doesn't find uh, um, good. Mm -hmm. You know, these wives are, are either very terribly abused, or they're thrown acid on their faces to burn the, the, their faces, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And um, when you humanly think about it, it would be better to be away from that kind of a relationship than to stay in that kind of a dangerous environment. And so I think similarly, God understanding their, the condition of their hearts at that time allowed it. But Jesus says, from the beginning, it was not so, meaning this was only an exception and not the rule. Mm -hmm. And so we always want to go back to the uh, God's ideal for us in marriage and in everything we do, which, of course, is faithfulness and, uh, and love. And uh, God meant marriages to be permanent. Mm -hmm. And yet, even when um, uh, things don't work out, God is able to show forgiveness and God is still able to work things out for his good if we surrender all to him. Yes, that's everything, all, and do and do what it, what it takes to stay together. Absolutely. And if all else fails, then, you know, Absolutely. we all know what happens Absolutely. from there. Absolutely. Right? Was there one about heavenly marriages? Is that, was that yes. in the question? Okay, what yes. was the, was it heavenly marriages? Yes. Uh, there, you know, um, the second part is about heavenly marriages. Okay, some people have asked the question whether or not we will marry in heaven. Mm -hmm. And I remember there are stories of people who really didn't want to go to heaven uh, yet uh, because they thought, well, I want to get married and I want to get married on earth, but I, what if I don't get married in heaven? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so the question is, is there marriage in heaven? We go to the Bible again in the book of Matthew chapter 22, verse 30. And Matthew 22... Uh, we'll actually begin in verse 23. Uh, 30 is is uh, the answer. We'll go to 33. And so Matthew 22, verse 33. And Scotty, I wonder if you could please read Matthew 23 uh, down to 29. Okay. That's Matthew chapter 22. Mm -hmm. And from 33 down, right? Uh, uh, 23 oh, to 29. 23. Mm -hmm. Okay. Verse 23. Excuse me there. Mm -hmm. The same day, the Sadducees, who were there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, <clears throat> right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Now to verse 29, mm -hmm. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Okay, so they're essentially trying to trick Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, when she gets to heaven, Jesus, who is, who is she, whose wife is she going to be? Uh, husband number one or husband, you know, number six or seven? Who, who is it going to be? And then Jesus, of course, gives the answer in verse 30, the verse right after 29. And Jesus says, oh, well, read 29 again. You, you do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Well, there's the answer. 
We are told that uh, during the resurrection and after, after the resurrection or, or after, uh, there won't necessarily be any marriages. We will be as the angels, uh, as the angels, meaning the angels, of course, themselves don't marry. And so neither will we also marry according to what Christ has said. Now, uh, somebody may ask, especially a couple, well, will I still be married to my husband? Will I still be married to my wife? You know, what about our, our bond and our friendship? Well, you know, I, I, the Bible doesn't say much about that. However, um, however, I believe that however God will arrange it, uh, we will n- be not less happy. We will be no less happy mm-hmm. once we finally get there. Maybe there will continue to be a special bond between a family, a man and his wife, or when they get to the kingdom. I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that's uh, most likely going to happen. But the point is this. The point is that God has prepared greater joys and greater things that will satisfy every desire of our heart and more. Much more. Yes. And we, although we may not have a full picture of what will happen, uh, yet we can be assured that we will be completely happy and we will have nothing to complain about in the kingdom. Uh, yes, of course, I believe that our the relationships we have created here on earth that are filled with love, you know, I, I believe they'll continue on with strong bonds in the mm-hmm. kingdom. Yeah. But uh, uh, we don't have much to give you a definitive answer. But the, the, the definitive answer we can give you is that you will not be disappointed mm-hmm. when you get to the kingdom, no matter what, uh, uh, what surprise or uh, we, we may expect or we may encounter. Mm-hmm. Imagine how good it's going to be because he's been preparing the place Absolutely. ever since. Absolutely, yes. Right? Absolutely. He's, he's been preparing. We like, I think we like to say it here in the islands, since ever since. <laughs> he's been preparing it since ever since, long yeah. before it was even a thought in our hearts, our minds. Right. Long before we ever desired it, Jesus himself has been preparing mm-hmm. that place for us, and we will not be disappointed. Yes. A question from our Facebook came in, a comment. What does it mean for women to be weaker vessels? And then on the bottom of it, in parentheses, says First Peter chapter three. Sure. Well, let's read that together. First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. You know the the expression "weaker vessels" uh, is, of course, yes, referring to women. Uh, let's go down to First Peter chapter three. Uh, this is actually the whole counsel uh, from First Peter chapter three verses one through seven, is a practical counsel to husbands and wives, and this is what our um, our, our questioner, thank you so much for your question, by the way, uh, is asking us about. Now, uh, the whole the whole set of verses from one through seven is is Peter under the Holy Spirit telling husbands and wives how to behave and how to act, but especially how to treat one another. Because it is in this treating of one another, as Christ would, whether as Christ would, that would um, allow their marriage to be a little heaven on earth, and because it would be a little heaven on earth, it would be a witness to the people all around them. Okay, so we we go then to verse seven of First Peter chapter three, and it says this: Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. 
Now, of course, it describes the woman as a weaker vessel. Well, vessels, of course, uh, the Bible says that uh, we are like vessels or jars uh, with the knowledge of God inside us. Now, of course, a woman, if you look at her physically or physiologically, a woman, typically, generally women, are uh, weaker than men. You know, the uh, bones are, are smaller, muscle mass is much less, and, uh, you know, typically they are not as fast, uh, and, and many of these other things. Not all women, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying generally, uh, women are, are generally born uh, less uh, physically stronger than a man, which of course explains why you have a sports, uh, professional sports, and they divide them between men and women, women's sports, mm-hmm. men's sports. It's so that uh, they can compete within their own um, ability or physical ability. And so what is Paul saying here? I mean, what is Peter saying here? Peter is saying that, you know, your wife, uh, love them according to knowledge. What knowledge? According to the knowledge of the scriptures. Because in Ephesians 5, we are to love them as Christ loves the church, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, uh, P- Peter is saying, um, because she is weaker than you, think of her as weaker than you, then you will show more sympathy, you will show more understanding, you will show more kindness because you are stronger. Now, that is not just simply strong in physical strength, but that is strong in spirituality, mm-hmm. that is stronger in compassion, that is stronger. Uh, you, that is strong to be able to look out and care for this person as one who needs care. And so, although a woman, of course, may at times even be stronger physically than their men in some cases, and yet Peter is not necessarily talking about uh, physical strength. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the duty of a man to look after this woman as if she was somebody who really needed your care, your sympathy, your large affections, your kindness, your compassion. And the reason why Peter says that is because a marriage is supposed to reflect the relationship of Jesus and his bride. And who is the bride of Jesus? Well, the Bible says the bride of Jesus is the church. Mm. And Ephesians 5, once again, uh, we uh, husbands are to love their wives as Jesus loves the church. Yes. And here's the question, Scott. Uh-huh. Isn't the church today a weak vessel? Don't we sometimes make mistakes? Don't we need the extra grace and power and forgiveness of God in order to move forward in triumph? Of course we do. Yes, we do. And there would be a lot of harmony in marriages uh, if a husband would look upon the wife as somebody to show extra compassion, extra care, and of course, uh, to do more for them physically, of course, uh, because women, of course, they, you know, they, they do a lot, especially wives and mothers. Mm-hmm. They do a lot. And uh, from raising your children to cleaning the home to even working and having still having to do those things. And we ought to show them just as much honor and respect as uh, as seeing them as a weaker vessel. Not that they are weak, Not that they're weak, weak. but we are to love them and mm-hmm. show extra, uh, extra good things to them. Uh, because that's supposed to represent uh, Christ and the church. Yes, and I'm so glad this question came up because a lot of people has has misinterpreted. Oh yes, this, this part, you know, just because I'm strong, I'm going to do this, or absolutely, oh, you're weaker than me. Yeah. Absolutely, you, and it's like it becomes a competitive thing, right? Uh, but it is a comp- It's not a competitive thing. Mm-hmm. It's not man versus woman. It's uh, it's simply God uh, 
telling the man, this is the counsel to the man, that you are to love her as Christ loved the church. And, and Scott, if you go down in the text, it actually says that your prayers be not hindered. Meaning if you don't do this, your prayers are, are, are going right. oh, to have well, some problems with it. Yeah. It's going to be hindered. It's a hindering meaning it's going to be it's going to be stopped. Yes. Unheard. It's going to be unheard. Right. It's, it is, something's going to get in the way. And so God is very serious mm. about um, men and women loving one another as Christ has uh, ordained them to. Yes, and there's also a Bible verse. Um, there's a, a verse in the Bible that says that if, if you're, um, what's the words I'm trying to look for? Uh, if you don't care for your family, Yes. Then it's it's like you're you're, you're an infidel or you're uh, like a he, like a non-believer. Right. Exactly. Yes. yes. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly, Scotty. That's oh. our music. That's our break music, and so we're gonna come back in a few minutes, uh, in a moment, and we've been having a wonderful time. Thank you for your questions that are coming in. Uh, keep them coming in. We look forward to hearing from you. We'll come right back after our break. Thank you. Parents often ask me if they should share their past with their teen. They say, won't that just encourage them to repeat the mistakes that I made? In my experience, I found just the opposite. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. More than ever, kids today are in a desperate need of honest parents who are willing to be vulnerable in sharing their own failures. Teens have a lot to gain from hearing how their parents handled or mishandled decisions at 13, 15, or 17 years of age. By revealing your brokenness, you demonstrate the end result of making bad decisions. Plus, hurting people are often drawn to the brokenness they sense in another. So sharing your own story gives your teen a safe place to admit their own shortcomings. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Welcome back to the second half of Straight from the Bible. Call right now with your Bible question in Guam. It's 472-1111. In the Sinai, it's 323-1113. You can email your questions anytime to Bible at joyfmradio.net. Submit them online at joyfmradio.net or message us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash joyfmradio. Join us now for the second half of Straight from the Bible. And welcome back to Straight from the Bible. This is Pastor Masik with my co-host, Scotty. And we're having a blessed time going through the scriptures, answering your questions, and seeing what the Bible has to say about uh, so many wonderful things in life. So, Scotty, let's go to our next question. And uh, go right ahead. All right. Our next question is, how can we continue to respect our family views if they don't respect one another? Do we continue to love them irregardless of what they have done to us? How can we continue to respect our family views? How can we continue yes. to respect our family views if they don't if they don't respect one another? If they don't respect one another. And the next question is do we continue to love them irregardless of what they have done to us? Or I think it, it was, yes. it's supposed to say regardless of what they've done to us. Yes. 
The answer, the short answer is is yes. I'm going to answer the last question first. Uh. Yes, Christ has asked us to love um, love everybody. In fact, Jesus has uh, instructed us and commanded us to love even our enemies. And, um, you know, our family sh- really should not be our enemies. But, of course, we're living in a sinful world, and there are times in life where the family or the people in our family who should be the most supportive and the most understanding, the most patient, they almost act as if they were our enemies. Here's one thing that I can say. When it comes to the different views of that you have with your family, you do not have to accept your family's views if you can see that they are wrong, that they go against uh, the scriptures, or they go against what you know uh, God would, would have them do. So there's nothing wrong in, in not accepting wrong views. Nothing wrong with that. You could do that. However, we are to still love them in spite of the wrong views. Uh, the Bible teaches this principle, and, and it, is, it goes something like this. We are to um, love, we are to hate the sin, but love the sinner. There's nothing wrong with hating sin. Nothing wrong with that at all. You can hate it freely, but we ought to always be ready to love the sinner. For that's exactly what Jesus had uh, done for us. Now, these are, of course, problems in the family. And we ask the question, did Jesus himself ever have problems in the family? And believe it or not, he actually did. Uh, his own family even didn't even, uh, early on, I mean, did, um, didn't really support him. Um, let's go to the book of John, chapter 7. And John, chapter 7, beginning in verse, um, we'll begin in verse 2. It says in John, chapter 10, 7, verse 2, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren, or his brothers, therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. And then they say this, and then the Bible says this, For neither did his brethren believe in him. And Jesus had to tell them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast, I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full, not, not yet full come. And so, this was a conversation between Jesus and his brothers. Now, these brothers of his were, of course, his brothers who were the sons of Joseph. Uh, Joseph uh, had, of course, had other children before uh, he married Mary, and uh, they had Jesus. And so, it actually, the Bible said there that they did not even believe in Jesus. They didn't believe in him. And this was his own family. This was his own family that he had uh, grown up with. And even they themselves really didn't understand him and they disagreed with him. And they very much at times sided with his enemies. But what's amazing is that uh, later on, as um, later on, of course, as they saw Jesus for who he truly was, uh, we, we do know that James, I believe in the, in the New Testament, James in the New Testament is really James, the, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And so there's a wonderful hope that even those who once uh, maybe mistreated us or didn't believe in us or 
or doubted us, they themselves can come to see the truth. So with your family, if there are things that they are doing that are harming you, uh, may, I'm sorry, if there are things that, that you disagree with or you see their lives and they're doing wrong or they're saying wrong things, um, it can be very hard at times because you want to correct them and you want to um, make things right, right then and there. But the wise counsel that we can find is to follow the, the, the example of Jesus. Mm-hmm. What Jesus did is he first himself was an example of love, patience, understanding. And he was able to be very upfront with people, but he was always upfront with them in love. And so he never hid away truth. He never uh, was afraid to, to talk to somebody if they were going wrong. But it was the manner in which he did it that made all the difference. And if you have a good relationship with your family, or maybe these people that are uh, maybe don't respect one another, or maybe not even respect you, uh, you can either slowly build a good relationship with them, and then when you see that God has, when you see that the time is right, and God has opened up a door for you to really uh, share with them, then you can. And uh, I think it was Martin Luther who said this. He said, um, uh, "Let me see if I can remember correctly." Martin Luther said, "Once God, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't remember word for word, but he says something like this: Once God, once God gets to the heart, all is one." Once God gets the heart, all is one. Meaning, once you've reached the heart of the person, you've really won the entire war. And it Amen. is. And people will be easy. People will have a, an easier time respecting you, and, and have an easier time believing your words, and taking your words seriously, when you know that you have won their heart, and you have their best interest at heart. So uh, you don't have to necessarily agree with what they're going through, but also at the same time. You can love them unconditionally. And if you may disagree on some things, uh, the Bible tells us in Galatians 6, 9, it says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Yes. Amen, Pastor. Man, there's a lot of a lot of things that was going through my head when, when you were ans- answering this, because I see many families get crushed. They don't talk to each other for mm-hmm. years and years. And that's not the way to go. It really isn't, Scotty. You know, sometimes, you know, there are situations that it may be best for, and and that's the thing, it's such a broad question that it's hard to pinpoint which uh, problem it is. But uh, for me personally, if we're just going to touch on the the foundation of love, it's, um, (laughs) it's that people will really have a, People will have a better chance be- believing you yeah. uh, when you when they really feel that you love them and have their best interest at heart. Yes. And once I think somebody also once said a dear pastor friend of mine he said, uh, "He who gets the heart gets everything. <laughs> he who gets so the heart true. gets everything. Right. You know, once you win somebody with their friendship, uh, and you win their friendship, it's like uh, um, both of your hearts are now so knit together mm-hmm. that it's easy for you to communicate anything." And that's exactly what Jesus did. You know, that's why the woman at the well in John chapter four, when Jesus sat down with her and he had a conversation with her, Jesus at some point then said, you know, go call your husband. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, I have no husband. And he says, you're right. You you have no husband. But, you know, you've had uh, many. Yeah, you've had, I think, five or six. I can't know five. You've had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. So, yes, you've answered that truthfully. And so 
that was not that was an, an unwelcome conversation. Right. She didn't want uh, that to be kind of exposed, and yet during that small conversation that they had, she could tell that he had her best interest at heart. And so when he had to then uh, reveal her sin, and so that she can forsake it and he can give her the blessing, she wasn't offended mm. because she truly saw that. Uh, that he truly loved her. Yes. And amazingly, what's amazing is, when you read the rest of the story, is that that dear woman left her water pot and she went to the town mm -hmm. and she told everybody, come and see, you know, is this not the Messiah? And they all came out. And remember, this woman had married five times, uh, now living in with a man, unmarried, number six. Mm -hmm. And yet when she, she had become the evangelist for her people, yes. and she was now leading people to Christ where... Um, after all this time before Jesus got there, she was known as, oh, this is just a, you know, a woman who's living unfaithfully, uh, kind of you know, living in a way that isn't right. Mm -hmm. And yet um, God was very patient. He was mm -hmm. filled with love for her. And he's patient with us as well. Yes. And thank you for answering that question, Pastor. Mm -hmm. A uh, question just came in from our caller, but the caller didn't want to talk to us. Sure, but no just problem. left the question. And, they, and the question is, is lying a sin? Is lying a sin? Oh, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. Is lying a sin? And the short answer is yes. Uh, lying is a sin. As we look throughout the Bible, uh, it is a sin. In fact, we go to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 20. And we have then the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. And in verse... 16, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. And this is the ninth commandment, commandment number nine of the Holy Decalogue or the Ten Commandment Law that God himself had written with his own hand on tables of stone, uh, representing that it was never meant to be erased or forgotten. And the Bible says in Exodus 20, verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. In, in other versions, it will say, thou shalt not lie uh, against thy neighbor or to thy neighbor. And so lying itself is, is something that God detests and something that, uh, that the Bible very much says that we should not do. And the reason why is because when you read Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, and you see, chapter 12, and you see the story of of the enemy, the great dragon, Satan, who is, uh, you know, who is in the kingdom and he's warring against the church, uh, it actually begins to describe, uh, as you read it, that he drew a third of the, he drew a third of the, uh, sorry, a third of his angels uh, went along with him in this rebellion. And so you, you find that rebellion, or rather you find the enemy, Satan, fighting against God's people. Um, in Revelation, fighting against the church. But it also talks about how Satan drew a third of the stars with his tail. Drew a third of the stars with his tail. The stars, of course, in that text representing the angels. And then the tail, now the tail in the Bible, uh, uh, symbolically also represents a lie. So using lies, Satan tricked or convinced a third of the angelic host to rebel against God and then they are now here on earth, of course, causing all this destruction. And so we go on to John chapter 8, verse 44. 
John chapter 8, verse 44. And then we read from the words of Jesus, and this is what Jesus says concerning lies. John chapter 8, verse 44. It says this, You are of your father the devil, and the the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So is it uh, bad to lie? The answer is yes, uh, because Satan is really the father of lies. And you know, lying is a, is a, is a strange thing because even... Even good people sometimes, or rather, even even people that may do good, or even Christians at times may lie. And people may lie either because they're angry or they're mad or they want to slander, or people may lie because they lie out of fear. When you take the case of David, uh, he lied to priest uh, Ahimelech, I believe was his name, and because of his lie, uh, later on, that priest uh, died. He lost his life. And the priest uh, also, the other priests also lost their lives because of a lie. And of course, when Abraham told kind of a half lie to the uh, to, to the Pharaoh in Egypt regarding Sarah uh, not being his wife but being his sister, uh, that also caused some problems. And so, as we can see, it never helps and it never benefits anybody, especially the believer, uh, when they lie. In fact, Jesus says, "The truth shall set you free." No matter how difficult the truth may be to say or to live or to act out, it is always better to do it because the fruit of truth is always good. In the end, it is always good. In fact, when David, once again, uh, going back to David, when David lied about uh, Bathsheba, when he took her to, when he uh, went in onto her, the Bible says, and, and uh, she became pregnant. He tried to lie. He tried to use deception and lies, and what ended up as a result was uh, Bathsheba's husband was murdered by David, and they lost their baby, and uh, his reputation, of course, uh, suffered. But yet, as painful as it was for David, uh, yet it was good for him because he was able to fully repent and to fully be right with God today. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, we'll be able to see David in the kingdom. Yes. So yes, even... Even um, even a little white lie? Well, some people say, well, it's just a little <laughs> white lie. And I remember reading somewhere that there's no such thing as a little white lie because there's no little white God to sin against. Oh, that's a good one. A lie is still a lie. You know, sin, may there may be degrees of sin, mm-hmm. but sin is still sin. Mm-hmm. And sin okay. still leads to death. Yes. Thank you, Pastor, mm-hmm. for answering this question. And... Uh, another caller called, but didn't want to come on. But he did leave his question with mm-hmm. us, and he wanted to know: Can Satan impersonate Jesus' second coming? Can Satan impersonate Jesus' second coming? Great question. Yes, a uh, great, wonderful question. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah, that's a good one. Right? You know, we do know that in Matthew twenty-four. Let's go there together. In Matthew twenty-four. Uh, the, let me see, Matthew chapter 24, we do see Jesus explaining and outlining a little bit of some of the events of the end of time. 
And so as you look at Matthew chapter 24, I will begin in verse, uh, let's look at verse 4. Verse number 4. Could you read verse 4 to uh, 4 and 5, Brother Scotty? 4 and Mm 5? Yes, I can. And it reads, from Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. Okay, great. So today, believe it or not, there are people who claim to be Christ. Many of them, uh, these are people, so some actually, one just passed away, if I remember correctly. He did just pass away. Uh, He was from the United States, and uh, there are people who claim to be Christ, and Christ has made it clear how he's going to return, as we've done here on the radio show. Uh, He's going to come back. Of course, we're going to be able to see him. Every eye will see him, the Bible says. We'll be able to hear him. He'll come with a shout and the voice of the archangel. You'll hear the sound of a trumpet. And uh, he's going to come, of course, from the east. He's going to come from, of course, the sky. The angel said, as you saw Jesus go up, you're also going to see him come back down again. And so there are things that uh, God has made it very plain in the Bible how Jesus will return, how Jesus will come back. Now, uh, the question questioner asked, uh, can can the can Satan impersonate or imitate or duplicate the way that Jesus ha- will return? Uh, the answer is no. When we look at what Jesus is saying, um, he's saying that many will be saying that I am the Christ. That people will appear out of here and there and say, "Yeah, I am the Christ." When Jesus comes back, he's not going to be. Re- coming and letting everybody know that I am the Christ. Uh, The Bible says he will come and it will be a surprise to everybody. You know, the Bible says that the wicked will will view him as a kind of like a consuming fire. They'll see him and they'll know that they're lost, of course. But to them, he's like a consuming fire ready to, to devour them and destroy them. But to the Christian, he is the Lamb of God. He is the one that we've been waiting for. And so it seems as though that Satan has been given a limit, and he has been limited, and he's limited in many things, of course, but he has been limited in impersonating the second coming of Jesus. Uh, The Bible does say that he uh, will work wonders in the end, that he will even transform himself into an angel of light. Of course, he's done that when Jesus was uh, in the wilderness for 40 days. And so he will once again, as the Bible says, I believe, try to impersonate Jesus himself by impersonating Jesus and claiming to be Jesus in the very end of time. However, he has been limited in not being able to duplicate or replicate how Jesus will actually come. The actual signs that the Bible has given us that he will come. And of course, the reason why is because God said so. You know, because God has said that he will come in this way, uh, God would make sure that there will be no confusion as to his return. Because God has given his word, and his word, of course, uh, will be done. And even Satan himself is uh, is limited uh, by God's word. And uh, thankfully, I'm so glad that questioner asked that question. Thankfully, Satan will not be able to impersonate or to even duplicate the way that Jesus will return. When Jesus returns, 
in the way that he has ascribed with every eye seeing him coming from the east, coming with his glory and the glory of the angels and the glory of his father coming just like that, uh, coming through that, uh, thankfully, has, will not be um, copied. And when we see that with our own eyes, we can rejoice that, as Isaiah says, behold, this is our God and we have waited for him. Amen. So he's not going to be walking from the West. He will not walk from the West. He's not going to touch the ground. He's, he's not going to touch oh. the ground. The Bible says uh, when he comes a second time, right. uh, he will come and we will meet him in the air. And uh, the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 and 17, that um, those, uh, the righteous dead will rise and we will rise up with them to meet Christ in the air. Nice. And then we will make our way home to glory. Praise Amen. God for that. Thank uh, you so much for the question. Yes, and thank you for answering the mm -hmm. question. Praise God. All right, we only have about like five minutes left, maybe six tops. Mm -hmm. So we're going to continue on with the questions that are coming in. What did Jesus refer to when he said, it is finished? What did Jesus refer to when he said, it is finished? Okay, this is one of the one of the last, this is, you know, the... the one of the last words of Jesus um, on the cross. And he said, it is finished. Well, what was finished? And um, what did he mean by that? Thank you for the question. Yes. Let's Good go question. To the, yeah, great question. Thank nice. you for that. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3 is when Adam and Eve fell into sin. Uh, this is when we lost our Eden home, and we lost uh, really our gift of eternal life. And that's um, a sad story, mm -hmm. uh, chapter 3 is. But there's also a beautiful promise tucked away mm -hmm. in this uh, chapter that may seem so dark, but let's look at it together. And Scotty, could you please read Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? Verse number 15. Anna reads, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, wonderful. Now, uh, the, the translation you read, it said, it used the word offspring. Yes. In mine it says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. Now, this particular now, this is, an actually a, this is actually a promise, and this is a promise that God had given in the Garden of Eden mm. um, after Adam and Eve fell into sin. Now, here's the thing. Adam and Eve have now fallen. They are now under the, uh, really, the, the, now they are now under the death sentence. They are going to die. Mm. No longer are they going to live eternally. And no longer are they going to be able to understand spiritual things uh, with a clear mind as God had really wanted them to. No longer, um, no, now there's a sinfulness and there's sin in them and they will always be drawn to sin. You know, like, like a magnet, they will always be drawn to it. And now, that was the problem that God had now faced and Adam and Eve were now in. They were now eternally really lost and they were going to die however God then gives this beautiful promise that we sometimes maybe not ever really think about but sometimes we pass by 
But in Genesis 3.15, this is one of those what we call messianic prophecies. This is a Bible prophecy about the coming Messiah. And I'm going to read it again. God is speaking and he says, and I will put enmity between thee, he's speaking to Satan now, Mm. between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. First of all, God says there's going to be enmity. What is enmity? There's going to be a, a wrath or a hatred or a division between you and the woman. And, of course, uh, uh, her seat. There's going to be uh, a barrier. There's going to be a resistance. I'll use that word. And you see, that resistance is a resistance to sin and is a resistance to Satan. But here's the problem, Scotty. We do not have that within us in our sinful self. There's no way we could resist evil. Evil is, is enticing to us. We're drawn to it. But the promise God gives here is that I'm going to, the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. You're going to bite his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. Now, this is a prophecy that the seed, and you find uh, Christ being referred to as a seed again by Paul in the New Testament, that he is the seed that would fulfill this promise. And who is... um, um, it says, it bruised the head. He spoke, speaking to a serpent. So he's going he's gonna to crush the head of the serpent. And who's the serpent? The Bible says, of course, Satan is. And then the uh, serpent, of course, will bite the heel of, uh, of uh, the seed. So the seed, of course, represents Jesus. And so that he would finally come and offer up his life in redemption for you and for me. And now through him, we have... Really, uh, the war has been won, and now we're simply uh, having the battle fought. And so when Jesus died at the cross, he said, it is finished. This is the fulfillment of this Eden prophecy, that the seed has come, the seed has offered up a perfect sacrifice. And so now his perfection can cover ours. And so no matter how sinful we are, no matter how sinful we are, It is finished. We have full forgiveness with Jesus if we come to Him any time that we need Him. Uh, That's a short short answer for a a great question that deserves a much longer time. I wish I had more time, but there was more that I'd like to share with you regarding that. But it is finished, meaning, my friends, Christ has given us the victory. And not only is Satan's kingdom finished, but uh, our redemption has been paid for. And now Satan's uh, uh, defeat is sure that we can all be saved. Um, I want to say thank you for joining us. Let's bow our heads real quickly for a quick prayer. Father, we thank you for our study and be with us as we meet again next week. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. This is Pastor Masit and Scotty saying good night. And God bless. Take care. 
Thanks for joining us for another edition of Straight from the Bible. If you missed out on your question and would like to have it aired next time, you can also email us anytime at Bible at joyfromradio.net. Submit them at online at joyfromradio.net or message us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash joyfromradio. Join us again next time for another edition of Straight from the Bible. Until then, may God bless you as you study His Holy Word, the Bible.